Okay, well, the first thing to be said about that is it matters nothing. It's a construct, right? It's one of many, many lenses that one can view one's existence, right? So that's the first thing to be said. It's a very reductionist, um, fraught with a lot of problems view of the world and of one human, right? So furthermore, um, when we say masculine and feminine, that's also fraught with all kinds of uh, misunderstandings. And there is so much, I mean, just like rhetoric and dogma attached to it. Because what we're really looking at when we go back to the root of how it's often used in these circles, right? We have to look at the fact that really it comes from the old tantric system of Shiva and Shakti. Shiva and Shakti being the expressions of um, the, the different primordial aspects within each human being, right? So there is no such thing as a feminine essence or a masculine essence in the tantric traditions. You have both in equal amounts. We have both. Of course we do. How the hell would you get out of bed in the morning? Right? You have to have go, and then you have to have flow to think creative thoughts and, and problem solve, and your mind is kind of this active, swirling thing, and your intention is to get somewhere with that, so that would be considered the Shiva aspect. Now, of course, in Taoist traditions, uh, it looks different again, right? With the yin and yang, they have different attributes. Uh, uh, given to them than in the tantric traditions. And then there's also, when you look at Tibetan tantric traditions, they define it different than, than like, let's say, the more Hindu tantric traditions. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really clunky to identify yourself as an essence of any form, because that's utterly bizarre, right? What you do have... Mostly, not everybody has it, but most people have a sexual preference, right? That's very different. So um, in your regular life, if you really want to slice it masculine, feminine, right, it's one lens. Yeah, but we can because many people know that as a way of looking at it. We're looking at um, your ability to go places, do things, have plan, make lists, think in a structured, linear way, um, get out of bed in the morning and make it to appointments on time, learn how to drive a car, uh, balance your bank account and take care of business and pay bills would be considered your masculine, roughly speaking, right? Um, your ability to... Um, go with the flow, enjoy the, the company of women and play with uh, your animals and uh, grow herbs and drink tea and uh, make food and think creatively and come up with new things and new ideas <laughs> would roughly be considered your feminine, right? So both, all human beings have both and all human beings use both, right? That's just that. So then you can look and say, okay, human beings are creatures of habit. And what that means is whatever you do the most becomes your strongest habit pattern. Mm -hmm. 
right? So that whatever you do the most, it, it, through repetition builds the habit pattern, which means if you have to kick ass, take care of business, take care of yourself, make structured decisions, that part of your musculature, so to speak, becomes strong, while the part that's not used is weaker. That doesn't make you a bad human being, though, and it doesn't make you uh, deficient as a woman. It just means you're stronger in one domain than in the other, right? So now, if you're looking at how do you want to be as a human being, then maybe you could say, well, I'd like to have both of these things available so I'm a fully... Um, creative, expressed, and still kicking ass human being. So then you go, okay, well, I spend 12 hours a day kicking ass, and I spend half an hour a day sitting in the bath reading a magazine, listening to music. Well, that means my uh, flow muscle is a little bit uh, less developed than my go muscle, right? And then you could just do things that allow you to be more in your body, in the flow of creation, um, relax your nervous system, soften certain things, right? If you do enough of that, you'll, you'll be balanced. So how does it matter? Well, it only matters when you want to have sex. Because when you want to have sex, one person, like you said, has to be the leader and one person has to be the follower. Now, doesn't necessarily mean that that's an exclusive thing. This is another one of those neo-tantric tropes. The strong masculine man, you know, and the, you know, crazy woman, well, who is kind of, you know, incapable of making a proper decision. And hence, by the way, right, this is very important, can't fucking set a boundary. And then goes, oh, I don't know what happens, you know. I mean, which is the ultimate disempowerment that happens in the neo-tantric circles is women are crazy, uh, you know, um, shrews that the men need to somehow train to be able to contain. That's super abusive shit. And I can say that exactly because I've been around it for many, many, many years and I've seen how perverted it can get. So um, self-responsible human beings who are fully empowered can willingly relinquish agency and can willingly pick up agency. They don't have to, you know, stand there rigidly and stare into a woman's eyes. And, you know, they don't have to be doing this whole thing. Uh, and not everybody needs to constantly swing off the chandeliers in, you know, hot lingerie. That's fine ever so often. But that's not exactly what life is about for most human beings, right? So, but if you feel that sexually speaking, more often than not, you'd be the one who kind of lets go and goes for the ride and enjoys, well, then that muscle needs to be developed. All right? If sexually speaking, you would rather be the one in charge, well, that muscle needs to be developed. If you want to be able to switch off and do both, well, both muscles need to be developed. So it's a little bit like uh, you could be super fit, right, an athlete, and, and let's, let's say you are a bicyclist, right? So you're a world-class bicyclist. 
you train like mad, you eat right, you're like on top of your game. Well, if I'm making you run a marathon, you're going to fail, right? Even though you're a world-class athlete, because it's another set of, of muscle groups and another set of skills. And so um, sexual engagement, sexual skill is like that. If you don't have the necessary skill set and muscle, you're not going to be able to sustain it. Now, another one of those, you know, wild and crazy uh, tropes is that, um, you know, a, a guy is just able, should just a, to be able to kind of make you mindless. And the question there is, well, why would he? Yeah, like take you and you surrender because you're so strong that you can't help it. Yes. The thing is, that's true enough that when a guy knows what he's doing, a woman can relax. But what's really more true than that is that a man who can do that isn't going to waste his energy on a woman who is ultimately not really that capable and needs to be overpowered in order to get there, right? Um, it's just for most guys who are good guys, that's not very exciting, right? I mean, only masochists and guys who have something to prove uh, climb up Rapunzel's uh, hair, yes. <laughs> so that all said, um, if you consider yourself more in the um, go mode, right, in the more masculine mode, you can look at, are you happy there, and at home, and that works for you uh, sexually and otherwise, well, then there's no problem whatsoever, right? Um, if you're going, well, I'm happy there, but I also want to have the other side, well, then you'll develop that. If you're extremely unhappy in that domain, then you might have to look and you want the other thing, not just from a societal standpoint, but from a, it's really your heart's deepest expression, well, then you might have to spend a little bit of time and energy on that, like you would have to spend time and energy on training for a marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, so th those are the things to consider for yourself. Now, society and all of those kind of things, yeah, that's true enough, right? But that's, I think, a big part of being fully empowered is that your choices aren't just driven by your environment, Look, the thing is, there is, you know this because, like you said, you have a community. And when you really look at the community, there are individuals that are grouped together solely by a sexual orientation, but by nothing else. But that's like grouping together every single human who is hetero, right? That's a bit insane, right? It's, it, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, no, right? This is not how it works amongst humans. There's individual likes and dislikes. And societal pressure, certainly at the moment, is one of exaggerating the polarizing factors everywhere, right? In the gay community as well as in other communities. It's a little bit like um, you must be externally... Um, as extreme as you can to make a point. And 
that's always existed, right? In, in different ways at different times. And it's a pendulum swing. But once again, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's still the same kind of societal pressure. Yeah, which is utterly insane. Yeah. And, and, and you know, of course, it polarizes the entire atmosphere more and more and more and more, where the war goes against all kinds of things internally and externally. And that's a trend to buck by really, really feeling who you are and how you want to express and not allow other people to do that for you. Because, you know, uh, 15 years down the line, uh, those choices are no longer going to be good choices unless they're really, really your choices. And so, you know, if you're happy with who you are, um, there's no reason to make it, um, amp it up if that's not true or make it go away if that's not true. Right? It's, it really makes no difference because... If you truly who you are, you will attract the reciprocal for the sexual occasion, right? And hopefully also somebody who just digs you. But for that, you need to actually be you because otherwise they're projecting all their shit onto you. Yeah. Which happens anyway when we meet somebody <laughs> new. But, but at least underneath it's you and not the projection of your projection meeting the projection of their projection, right? That's a total mindfuck. Yeah, so. So I wouldn't go too much with masculine, feminine in the neo-tantric way. And if you look at being born in a woman's, woman's body and you feel like you're born in a woman's body, well, do with that as you want. And then your sexual orientation is a totally different story. Within your sexual orientation, you, you're going to have a certain expression, right? And then you'll cultivate that expression and you find somebody who has the matching expression on the other end of the spectrum. And that's as far as I would engage in, I, sh I am this or I am that. Yeah. Well, once you've had both, right, then once you've had the strong go and once you've had the strong flow, then what you do is you identify the practices you use when you need what, right? So um, when I wrote the book, I had to meditate, which is not something I do on a regular basis. I do meditate, but like, you know, we're talking 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Unless I sit with Steve, then I might sit for an hour here or there. But really, it's not my main medium. But when I uh, wrote the book and when I had to be really, really linear and focused in the midst of massive creative output, I had to start every day with sitting. Right? And I also had to do ironclad list writing because um, that's what it took to keep my mind from going completely off bounds and never getting the book done, right? So when you have both, then you can go, okay, well, I'm a little bit dispersed, so let me do things that create order and structure. So um, order and structure that's easy to accomplish 
is lists, uh, a good schedule, um, and some form of very uh, clear practice that focuses the mind, like meditation or very linear, like a workout or something, like, a, you know, meaning weightlifting or something like that. So that your body goes whoop and clicks into that mode, right? When you've noticed that that's getting a bit too much, then you do practices that create open flow, nonlinear movement, dancing, playing with the puppies, rolling in the meadows, right? Um, coloring or painting or whatever, like, you know, the kind of um, getting involved with the swirl of things. You go out of bounds, you go back to meditating and list-making. That petulant teenage resistance is the artifact of self-sabotage, right? Meaning, um, if you know what needs to be done and you don't want to do it, it's one of two things. It's either really not the thing you should do, or you are having a teenage moment, right, that makes it so you can succeed. And so you have to determine which one it is, right? And then if it's just, uh, like you said, teenage petulance, you, you'll have to just go, well, okay, I don't want to, but I will, right? Which you have absolute perfect agency over. Uh, and you can still go, hey, in the back of your mind, but you just do it, right? It's one of those Nike moments, you know. Um, if it's persistent and, and you realize that really you think you should do something that really you shouldn't be doing, that becomes very clear by the lack of energy and, um, you know, kind of uh, suppression of certain parts of you. Uh, which could be, but it doesn't sound like that's what it is, right? So, but the first thing to do is always to go, well, uh, do I want to do it? No. Uh, do I need to do it? Yes. Let me just do it. And you deal with the, the tantruming teenager after the fact, right? And you just ignore that part of you, essentially, right? The, the petulant teenager, teenager is going, I don't want to do it, don't do it, I don't need to do it, right? And that part is probably the part that um, counteracts the thing that you very well know you need to do. Also, and this is something that I've learned the hard way over the years, the petulant teenager's um, temper tantrum zaps the energy that you need to get the stuff done, Right? And so one of the things that I've learned is because there's a lot of things I need to do that I don't like doing. Um, I just override it with a yes. Anytime I have a no, right, that's been determined to not be an instinctive deep no in my body. But a pitch, there's, a, there's a very big distinction there, right? I do listen to my body's signals when something doesn't feel right. But... Paying my bills on time is not one of those, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how much it doesn't feel right to have to do that. That's a fact of life. And so then I go, yes. And I, I kind of make the yes be the thing that gets me out of the no. So it's kind of a turning towards and saying yes to the things that I have determined I want to do. 
And then I let that part of me that goes, but yeah, other people can sit in the garden, and why can't I sit in the garden? You know? And you know, what's wrong with me that I always have to pay the bills? I just let that part do its thing and do what needs to be done. And then what usually happens afterwards is like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad, right? And then that that's a marker for the next time where the body remembers that it wasn't so bad. And eventually you grow out of those kind of kind of things. Act first, think about and have a tantrum later. Okay. Right? In that domain. Okay. Yeah. And you know, the, the the very important piece is this is not true for uh, you don't override your boundaries when it comes to other people or things like this. I'm talking about getting shit done in your material world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I had this funny thing happen the other day where we were in Australia and, and it was the day off a five-day intensive and I got an email from a woman who went, yeah, I'm not getting on the plane because my pussy isn't feeling it. <laughs> and uh, I always listen to my pussy, right? <laughs> And I was like, all right, that's fine. Just don't show up. But let me tell you something, right? If I would only do what my pussy is telling me to do, we'd be in deep shit. (laughs) Deep shit. I'd be homeless, right? And then it, of course, turned out that she was a trust fund baby who had never had to deal with financial things, right? So she didn't care that she just essentially pissed, uh, you know, several thousand dollars down the drain because her pussy wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a bypass of a whole other order, right? That, that, that's the extreme end of that. Now, that's not to say you don't want to listen to instincts, but every part of you needs to be on the board of advisors, not just certain parts. Mm-hmm. Can't be just the head, can't be just the tail. (laughs) Has to be the heart as well and, you know, a few other parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a small question. What is sexual fulfillment? (laughs) Well, it depends also what you consider sexual fulfillment, right? So the question there is what, what are you after? is the first thing, right? For some people, that means that they're sexually expressed. For some people, that means that somehow they get all their sexual needs met. For some people, it means both, right? And then for some people, I don't know what it means because I'm not in their shoes. So do you have any specific criteria that would make you know that you're sexually fulfilled? Or is this just a theoretical question? Now, the, the, the interesting thing with desire is you can't overcome desire, mm-hmm. right? Because what you resist persists. Mm-hmm. And we know that because almost every goddamn guru we know who is talking about overcoming desire has fucked their students or worse, <laughs> right? And the ones we don't know about yet probably just haven't been caught yet for the most part. Now, that's not to say that there isn't people who have dealt with their desire, but it's not by bypassing or overcoming it. It's by going there so fully while not clinging to it Mm -hmm. that it can open into something much bigger than the pursuit of sex. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. right? So or the getting off or whatever it would be. Yeah. But um, depending on the tradition that looks different in different traditions, right? But essentially one of the things to remember is that as a human being, you're born with a body and that body completely independent of your emotional, rational, or spiritual goals has one goal and one goal only, and that's survival. Well, because otherwise there wouldn't be humans, okay. right? I mean, if our ancestors didn't want to have sex or uh, uh, kill things to eat them or defend their wives and children or, you know, or tribes against other people who wanted to kill them, uh, we would have been extinct with the dinosaurs, right? It's the, it's the absolute most basic function of an organism, any organism, is to survive and replicate, right? That's what humans are about. So you're born into a human existence, regardless of your spiritual belief, you are born with a body, right? So what does that mean? Well, it means you've been given a very specific vehicle within which you can explore your you know, dispositions. For some people, that's very um, basic, and that's food, sex, and money, right? Or however you want, food, sex, and power. Um, they want to eat, they want to fuck, they want to win, mm -hmm. right? For then some people, they go, well, there's more to that. I now also want to have a meaningful relationship. I want to raise children. I want to be part of a meaningful community, right? Then some people go, I want all of that. And I also want to know God in, you know, I'm saying this as a, as a blanket statement for spiritual pursuit, you know, not necessarily Christian or any other. So they are all layers where you can enter. But all the while you engage in those layers, your body needs to eat, it needs to digest, it needs to go to the bathroom, it needs to um, procreate in order to create more humans so that the human race continues, right? If you don't do that, your genetic pool dies out. And then um, that's that. No, not necessarily. <laughs> Uh, I don't have children, um, I, and I made a conscious de decision to not have children. But that's a decision that is not based on the base instincts of my body. My body still wants to have sex, and my body wanting to have sex um, was, is, has been built for procreation. Now, do I procreate or not? I now have adult choices based on the fact that we have choices, right? But my body doesn't know that. My body wants certain things when it ovulates and it wants certain things when it bleeds. And I can't do a goddamn thing about it, right? As anybody who's ever had hormonal fluctuations knows, right? It's like that, that, there's just things happening, right? Eggs drop, mucus gets produced, right? You, you, you have a, you know, for instance, I don't know if you noticed, on the ovule, yeah, chocolate must be eaten. Who said that? Yes. Definitely chocolate must be present at all times. Um, when you ovulate, your body produces a high spike of testosterone. Did you know that? Correct. And, and guess what the testosterone does? It makes you less choosy. 
That's what it's there for. So the body produces a spike of testosterone so that you fuck whatever comes along so that the human race survives. Right? So that's about, that, that's what we are built with, or, or, or saddled with, you could say, or you could say blessed with. So you have two options. You can, you can just bypass that whole thing and say the body's bad, desire is bad, sex is bad, I want to go to God. Well, um, easiest way to do that is kill yourself, right? Everything else, because then, you know, you're done with this and you have overcome your desire and now you're free and your spirit soars till it gets sucked back into the next body or whatever you believe, right? In the meantime, if that's not what you're doing, you're going to have to essentially encompass more and more and more and more of the experience. And so it's kind of like concentric circles or, or holographic um, view of things where you go, yes, I have a body. Let me optimally use this body for whatever you are choosing to do, right? Yes, I have a heart. Let me optimally use my emotional uh, thing. Uh, yes, I have desires. Let me look at my desires and see where they're coming from and uh, explore, can I have desire without gripping onto it? Because the desire isn't the issue. Being, being uh, or wanting to have sex or wanting to combine yourself with somebody isn't the issue. It's that thing we do when we can't have it or when we want it and when we pursue it. And it's like, wah, 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 you know, and you, you kind of lose essentially your common sense so that you can get the thing. And then that's the thing that they talk about in spiritual practices is that you um, don't get hooked onto that train that takes you to places where afterwards you go, I did what? With what? Right? Which is a common thing that one experiences, right? And then you, you wake up from that experience and you go, now I feel shit. Now I'm down on myself. Now I'm, you know, I caught a disease or whatever, right? Or I'm pregnant and I didn't want to. Or, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of options when you are not having a grip on the pony you're riding, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? So I would always say the way to go is to learn how to ride the pony better, right? So, uh, so that you know where you're going and when the thing starts bucking, you know how to get off or how to ride the thing, right? Then you can go, oh, I have done that and yeah, that was great, but there is more. And then you relax that into the open um, inquiry of what else is there, right? And so, for instance, if you're no longer super, super gripped by your, the sexual horniness, then you could probably feel into that person's entire situation and not just into their use to you as a sex toy, essentially, right? Which is what we often do. We look at people as our living, breathing sex toys, and then, you know, then maybe we'll fall in love or not, uh, or there's other, you know, safety or um, uh, economic, you know, uh, benefits or whatever. And so uh, if you can kind of 
relax that, then you can see, is that really the best use for your time, for their time, for your spiritual pursuits, and so on and so on. So on that level, it's like you kind of eat up the desire, uh, but not by suppressing it, but by examining it fully. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have an enormous amount of sex or anything like that, but you kind of look under the hood of that particular pursuit, right? And then you, you draw your conclusions based on what's under there, if you want to pursue that further or if that's actually not that important. And it's the same with your body. Being totally obsessed with your body and, you know, drinking all the green juice and doing all the this and, you know, and, 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 and you know, enhancing that and all of that um, is not bad, but it might not be the thing you want to get stuck on, right? You want to just maybe maintain good personal hygiene and be presentable enough that people don't run from you when they see you, and that's maybe all you want to do. Or you want to go, well, you know what? I have this body. I might as well dress it up or move it in certain ways for everybody's enjoyment, right? And then you move on from there. And then you can go, I have a brilliant mind. Um, What do I do with it, right? And you decide on that. But of course, if you're obsessed with being smart and winning the prize and being the best at university and you, you know, you kind of forego other things, that's another clinging. It's another gripping. As bad as sex, if not worse, right? Because it doesn't, it, it doesn't give you the health benefits. You know? <laughs> thinking, thinking, thinking. So, so, and then the same with spiritual pursuit. If your spiritual pursuit um, uh, suppresses and quenches your humanness, then that also wouldn't be a good thing. But if it makes you more um, open and compassionate and loving and available and radiating joy and people who come in contact with you go, ah, oh, I feel so good around her. Well, then, you know, good. But if you, this is not you, but if one is, you know, self-righteous about one's great spiritual pursuits and swings them around like the, you know, big dick of consciousness and all of that, <laughs> then that's also quite unpleasant, you know. So uh, the, the pursuit of sexual fulfillment is definitely a fool's errand on many, many uh, levels because one thing we all know, as women particularly, it's not, not, in men it looks different, they have it too, but in women, one of the things it's, that we do know is it's never enough. Yeah. Even if you would get it, you would want more. So that's, that's really the ultimate spiritual realization is that there is always going, you're always going to want more. And that's an endless rat race, right? And that's the thing that one seeks liberation from is the, can I have it? Can I have it? But of course, if you've never had it, if you've never had really good sex, right? It might be worth exploring that. Um, and, Thankfully, you can explore it all by yourself because one can have really good sex with oneself. And mind you, one can also have really good sex with God. Um, When another human being is involved, it gets a lot more complicated because 
somebody's skill level will be the cap on the occasion, right? Yours or theirs, uh, or both. And so the pursuit of the, yeah, somebody will fuck me so well, I'll be done, is a myth. Because if somebody fucks you so well that you are done, that lasts, what, two days? (laughs) 36 hours or something like that? After 36 hours, you're like, that was good. I wonder if there's more. Right? And then that's the next pursuit. And then you're like, yeah, but what else is there? And so on and so on. There's just, there is no end point to that. There's no moment where you go, it's not like with, uh, let's say stream entry, right? enlightenment or so, where you have it, you hit it, it sticks, your whole entire perspective on reality has changed. It's not like that with sex. It might, there might be a realization within the sex that feels like that, but the actual act of the engagement is a, is a rat race, essentially. right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're so far along that you are engaging from that point of entire fullness, at which point you could have it or leave it. Yeah, and that is a worthwhile pursuit, but that pursuit starts with self-practice. Right? You start by yourself, with yourself, and you explore all the ways your body can have pleasure. And only when if you've exhausted all the ways your body can have pleasure, then you look what else is there, right? Um, and then you get instruction or you get different sexual practices and you start working with the internal systems and blah, 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 blah. At some point, um, the grip of the thing has loosened and then your sexual uh, exploration is exactly the same as your spiritual exploration. It's one and the same, right? But till then... Um, it's like having to have yet another meal, right? Or having to do the dishes again, right? Which happens all the time. If you eat, you must do dishes. And so it's a little bit like that with sex. It's like when you have sex, you want more sex. And it, it's not like you've had sex and then you're done, um, you know, and it's all good. You, you'll do it again and again and again till sex isn't the thing that you're gripping. And then you can have sex without needing the sex. So, yeah. So, yeah, I would start with some good embodiment and solo pleasure practices and then see where that leads you. Because it's dicey relying solely on other people to get that because that's a crapshoot at best. Because how are you going to interview then? That's the problem. Unless you are a real master of the domain and you can look at any person you want to have sex with and go, that's a 6.5, this guy is an 8, or this woman is a 10, right? You don't know that. You have to engage with them, and in the engagement lies a whole set of circumstances that might or not might be good, you know? So, Hence, solo practice is always good to start with. You can have sex with anyone you want, but just don't rely on that being your sole supply of nourishment, right? You should be able to feed yourself, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and that loosens the grip a lot, by the way. 
if you're capable of supplying yourself with the sexual nourishment that your body wants and needs, uh, you are going to be way less likely to make questionable choices uh, with men. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with questionable choices, but there is, there's a price to pay, right? It depends on the human, right? Some people can have sex without getting emotionally involved. Some people can't even open their body sexually until there's a deep connection. Um, some people uh, cre uh, develop deep connection when they open themselves sexually. Some people open themselves sexually and then that gives them deep connection, right? So it can go any which way and you have to figure out where do you stand and um, how does your system want to engage? Right? And then um, you'll notice the different styles of engagement. Yeah. But often I would say... Um, what we are after is a, is a depth of emotional penetration that we think comes from the physical thing. And sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And then that's the itch that never gets scratched. You know? There's whole, I mean, we could talk about this forever. You know? There's guys, there's a, there's a type of guy... This is a, you know, this is a gross uh, generalization, but there's a type of man, pretty much everyone here has met one. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. You have met that kind of man. And here's what, it, what this kind of man does. He can enter very deeply into intimacy very quickly. And you go, whoa, right? And then you kind of open. And it's there but you only get to see it once. And then you're chasing that particular dragon for the entire rest of the relationship, right? Um, this also happens in women, but in women it has a different flavor. But we, we tend to want to have that depth of intimacy. And often that depth of intimacy comes from the fact that that particular person can... Um, only turn it on for a short period of time and only under a set circumstance which is not that close. Mm -hmm. And then when closeness happens, that goes away and then you're chasing it over and over and over. So there, you know, there's many ways that one must uh, be vigilant. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them because that's, you can spend years. It's not a mirage, it's a certain kind of way to hook somebody. Uh -huh. Women do it too. Right. Um, uh, women do it by being um, hyper available and hyper sexual and totally with it. And then the moment the safety happens, they'll shut it all down. That's the worst. Exactly. Right. You're like, where is it? Where, where, what happened? You know, we were hanging off the chandeliers and now, you know, it's, it's sweatpants and Game of Thrones. Right? <laughs> And ponytails, <laughs> you know, or worse, when the when the when the long flowing hair suddenly gets short and the sweatpants never come off, you know, and that's the that's the women's version of the dude who can enter so deeply and you're like totally blown open and then it's never to be found again, you know. So uh, 
nothing wrong with you having sex with men, but make sure that you're well, so that you have a good supply of your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can make a decision if you, you know, if you want to uh, transcend that or include it, but no longer having to be stuck on it. Well, you know, they say that your, your spiritual practice is only as good as your first visit home, you know? And that's certainly, that's certainly true for self-development and all kinds of things, right? Because um, it's all good and nice to be developing and growing and everything. Uh, but even the most hardened self-improvement junkie will eventually have to go home for Thanksgiving. And that's when, you know, or Christmas or whatever, and that's when or Hanukkah, or, you know. So um, if you can look at your mother the same way you look at somebody you pay lots of money to self-improve you, the, which you could, right? You could look at your mother as the ultimate teacher um, and take your mother as a yardstick as to how developed are you really, Right? Then, right, but that's what I'm saying. If you could orient towards her, not as an annoyance or a reminder of your shortcomings, which is probably the original wound, right, that she's a reminder of your shortcomings. So she's still a reminder of your shortcomings, even though you've done all the work to not have shortcomings anymore, you know. But so if you just go... I will know that I have actually opened and softened if I have compassion towards my mother. Doesn't necessarily mean you let her get away with shit, right? Sometimes it's compassionate to set a boundary and sometimes it's a compassionate to not go over there um, because you won't be able to have a fruitful interaction. So compassionate doesn't mean you're a doormat and it doesn't mean that you're only nice. Uh, it means that you do the thing that's best for everyone involved. And you understand the motivation um, of yourself and your mother. Right? So if you assume that your mother... Well, let, let's just assume right, that your mother wants the best for you. Because that's what mothers do. Now, they might be horribly ill-equipped to do so, as evidenced you know, in most humans. But that's not very few people, only psychopaths, get up in the morning and go, how can I fuck my children up? <laughs> right? For the most part, it's something like, I'm caught in a set of belief systems and circumstances that make me think that this is the right thing to do. Or... Uh, in the worst case scenario with abusive parents or things like that, they are so not there that what they do is um, totally unconscious, right? And unconscionable, well, if that's a word, you know? <laughs> so um, when you loosen the grip of, your, of that thing that makes it so that you and your mother both have to grow, you can actually be with the thing that is, which is... She's your mother. She's not going to change. She's just not. Right? And when you go there, then things can actually change. Because you are no longer behaving such that she has to behave such. And that's the trick. This is also true with your husband. 
our behavior shaped the behaviors of everyone around us, of course. And so the quickest way to um, affect change is to not behave that way, not have that particular mindset. Right? So if, what, what's one of the things that bothers you most about your mother when you go there? So what's the problem with that? Well, do you think it's a nice tradition? And you happily rather go to your daughter's school than uh, hang out with your family at home. Yeah, but that, see, this is, this, is, this is not the same. Okay. I'm asking you specifically, would you rather stay home in your pajamas with your family doing your own Thanksgiving or not? Okay, so you genuinely enjoy going to your daughter's school with all the other people. Okay, good. So, so in your body and mind, this is a great thing. Yeah. In your mother's body and mind, it's a bother. She doesn't want to do it. Why is it an insult to her? Because she can't set a boundary. She can't say for all the right and wrong reasons, right? So in her mind, it goes something like, damn, I really wanted to eat my own food, stay home, decorate my own table, and have my family at my house for a tradition that I have pursued for the last 50 years. Yeah. Right? That's what she's thinking. Exactly. That's the next thing. She's hurt that you are choosing something else over her. Right? So she can't say to you, I don't want to go. Well, she did say that clearly, you know, she's not going, but she's not saying I don't want to go because I really all would, I would like my entire family to be with us, right? Because of course she knows that um, she can't do that because this is your, this is her grandchild and it's important, right? So she is in a real uh, double bind, you know, if she, if she goes with it, she foregoes her own wishes. If she doesn't go for it, she's an asshole, right? Uh, and so she's in a, in a really tough spot. Well, that's unfortunately what adults do, right? You have to make a decision. So she made a decision to be an asshole and stay home. And she didn't have the good graces to not complain about it, yeah. right? Because if she would think it through, she would go, ah, shit, right? I really would like everybody to be here, but I can't make myself go, well, you know what? It's really sad. I'm going to miss you. You know, but that's really what she means when she says, isn't it horrible? Because what she's doing it, doing is she's putting the responsibility not on you, but on the school, mm. right? She's not saying, you're an asshole for not coming to our Thanksgiving and you are hurting me, right? She's saying, oh, this is horrible. My family is not going to be with me. It's the school's fault, right? So it is, well, and that's exactly what you said about your mother, that she takes it personal, <laughs> Right? So, so two peas in a pod, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? So that's the moment compassion happens. You have compassion for yourself, you have compassion for your mother, and you go, you know what, mom, I'll miss Thanksgiving with you guys, 
But I think it's important that we, uh, we support our daughter in her new school and make her feel like she has community there and friends. But I love you and I'll miss you. And of course, the food that they are going to produce is not so going to be as good as your food. And we'll come the next day and have your fantastic leftovers, right? So that would be the not doing what she's doing, which is taking it personal. You know, and so that's where you can work with it, where you where you step far enough away and you go, well, whatever it is that she's doing, I'm also doing that. So how can I not do that? And then that gives her a chance to go. Yeah, I know. I just miss you. I know it's the right thing to do. Right. But when you go, well, no, I actually think it's a great thing. Then in her mind, it goes oh, well, she really doesn't care about me, right? Um, and, and so on. And then you feel like she doesn't understand that as a mother and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, this is important for your daughter. And, you know, th that's how it goes. So how you do it, and it's the same with your husband, right? Um, he won't do things the way you want them, him to do it all the time. And it's not personal either, right? And... He thinks it's personal when you don't approve of him. And you think it's personal when he's not doing it the way you want to, him to do it. And so the way out of that is always the assuming the other person's position. Right? So you give the thing that you can't get. Which is, by the way, the entire exploration of today is the opening to the thing that you very much want but don't want to receive, right? So the, so the things that you want your husband to give you is the things you give to your husband. And it's the same with, the, with your mother. You give your mother the thing that you want her to give to you, which is essentially understanding, right? How often would you say... Does he need the freedom when you need the closeness? Right. So that's the first way to go, is you look, you take yourself out of the equation, mm -hmm. because once again, it's not personal, yeah. right? Yeah. And you go, is it time for him to step away into the cave and uh, play a video game or whatever, eat or drink or whatever he does to numb or go away, right? For most men... It's not numbing in the sense that we think it's numbing. It's just they have to cleanse their palate mm -hmm. until they've cleansed their palate with YouTube or whatever, right? That they can't come back. It's like, imagine for a moment you weren't allowed to complain, right? When you feel upset. Um, you know, for men, complaint is highly, highly unpleasant. For us, complaint is a way to cleanse the palate. <laughs> right? Oh, I didn't get that, 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 that. You know, a guy goes, oh, my God, I must do something about it. You know, this is horrible. And you're like, nah, it's not that horrible. I just needed to talk about it, right? <laughs> like, like so, so the same is true the other way around. He needs a certain amount of disconnecting and numbing so he can come back. So... What you want to observe first is what's habit mm -hmm. and what's actually good for him. Okay. And 
Now, you might not always be spot on, but over time, you'll know when to step in and actually invite him back into life and when to let him go and have him come back by himself. Right? Um, either which way, it has nothing to do with you. It's his personal process. But you as the... Um, the, the uh, what would the word be, the party most affected by it, all right? You have to go, well, you know what? It's day three of him eating pretzels and watching reruns of Seinfeld, <laughs> you know? Hmm, what's really happening, right? And then it might be time to sit him down on the sofa and grab his feet and massage his feet and go, so what's going on, right? Um, and, but you never go, what's going on? Why are you numbing? Till you've actually brought him back into his body, right? And the easiest way to bring somebody back into their body is to just touch the lower body. And so it's nice on the sofa, you do the feet and, you know, whatever, and you start talking. And then um, they, they kind of enter their, you know, the bodily domain. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, God, you know, it's been three days of eating pretzels and watching Seinfeld, right? <laughs> or, they, or they don't, right? And so, so, but maybe that's just what has to happen before he comes back. So what you want to watch is, does he come back? When he comes back, can he re-engage or not? Um, what's excessive, what's causing health problems, you know, let's say he would start drinking too much or something like that. And you look at that before you decide on a course of action. It's not always the best choice to um, bring somebody back, right? Sometimes they have to come on their own accord. No. And sometimes they need to be given all the space to make their own fuck up, so to speak, so they can self-correct, so it's theirs to have, versus being told what to do. You know that anyway, right? But, so, so, but it's, it's not clear-cut. It's like a noticing what's really happening underneath the thing that you think is happening. And that's the ultimate masterclass, right, is that you step out far enough that you can see it from a little bit of a bird's eye view. You're not stuck in the morass with it. Yeah. So. And over time, you will notice that certain people have certain patterns. right? So then you'll notice when your mother says something that makes you feel personally attacked. This is, might, might not be her pattern, but I'm just making an example. So you feel personally attacked, which you can then equate with her being hurt. Right? Or her feeling disregarded or her not being able to set a boundary, fill in the blanks, right? So over time, you can go, oh, here it is again. What is she upset about? Oh, this, right? And then you can go, you pass by the entire bullshit and you go, I'll miss you too on Thanksgiving, right? And at that point, you know, she can go, yeah. You know, I understand you have to do it, but it kind of sucks, right? And then you go, yeah, it sucks, but we'll be there on Friday, you know? And then, then, then you're in a different room, you know? And so that's the fact-finding, the same with your husband, is what's the thing that bugs you? 
what does it really mean? And you'll notice very quickly right, how it goes. And then you go, oh, I feel this, which means it, he must feel this. And they're not related. Oh, he feels this, so if I act like this, this gets worse. So let me just go straight to this and not to this behavior over here. Usually, how your best of service is you let him do his thing. Unless he's self-destructive or it goes on too long, right? That's how you're of service. It's like you kind of treat your husband like a man and not a child, or your child, right? And you assume that he can handle himself as a self-responsible adult human being. And that's the biggest gift you can give any partner, man or woman alike, right? Is to go, okay. You are, you're an adult human. You've done this before. I'm going to just trust that you can do this without me having to cram my particular set of values you know, down that road. But you've been married for a while, so you, know, you, kind of, you can take the long view, which means in the end it has always worked out positively. Right? And that's a good thing. No. So you don't have to hold on that tightly because you have a precedence of it having worked itself out unless you see a strong downward trend and then that requires a, a proper intervention but that's a, that's a good one because um what aren't we having misconceptions about <laughs> right um now men vary you know humans vary widely Right. But there are certain commonalities that have to do with biochemistry and plumbing and things like that, right? Um, and certain dispositions. And when you look at the disposition of most men who are with women, I'm going to just say it like that because there's men who choose to not be with men or women, there's men who choose to be with men. Um, men who tend to want to be with women, tend to be in successful relationships, tend to be, um, well, let me say this differently. In successful relationships, they tend to have figured out how to acquiesce and without losing themselves. That's the ideal scenario, right? Um, but sexually speaking, they tend to be very different than you. Right? So in a successful relationship, what has happened is two people have found enough stable common ground that they can operate as a functioning human pairing. Right? Um, and that doesn't mean you don't have misunderstandings or disagreements, but you are capable of bridging differences um, creating common ground, having a common language, right? So for that, a man has to essentially learn um, how, how to successfully do that and cooperate. Um, and so does a woman, right? That looks different. Women tend to want more than men are willing to give and, and in, in the extreme emotional closeness. And men tend to want a let, lot less than they're usually giving. Right. So the way it usually goes is that the man understands that he has to um, give of himself a bit more than he would naturally do. 
This is not true for all men, right? But most men want a certain amount of time a day where they don't have to be with anyone. Anyone. Never mind uh, three screaming children and a wife who hasn't spoken with an adult since he left in the morning, right? Um, so, so they just want space. And most women want closeness and connection and intimacy and engagement and somebody to push against, to push us back so she can relax and so on and so on and so on. So um, successful pairings have found a common ground where both of those things are allowed for without one taking over, uh, over the other, right? Miss, um, where it goes wrong is when one partner you know, it doesn't have to be men and women, but part, one partner uh, needs so much space that they get estranged, or the other partner needs so much closeness that it's the sticky, needy thing. Then it goes wrong eventually. Or when one partner compromises so much in order to keep the other one happy. All right. So that's that's the setup. But in general, some of the common misconceptions are that a man really likes hearing what you have to, what happened all day and what happened in your internal environment in great detail. He doesn't. Uh, another common uh, misconception is that a man likes to hear your complaints. He doesn't, because to him that means he has to fix them. And if you let him fix them, then he's happy. But if you just wanted to complain, he will be extremely stressed out because he can't actually do the thing he's meant to do, which is fix it. So those are two of the very, very big um, uh, misunderstandings. Another one, and this is a very, very important one in my book, personally when I work with couples, is that <laughs> women have come to believe that men are emotionally stunted, <laughs> retarded, or unwilling. And they're not. Most men are finely feeling and really sensitive. It's just they don't present those upsets and those feelings and those hurts the way we do. They present them by withdrawing. Because that's what you do. You go away and you deal with it and you come back when you're thinking straight again mm -hmm. while we go towards and want to work it out so there's this misconception that um, essentially there's uh, emotionally retarded withdrawn men who don't want to engage with you they don't want to engage with you till they've worked things out right while you want to engage right then and there, right? And that's a, that's a big one. And when you can understand that, that makes um, a lot more sense in a relationship. Now, it's an irreconcilable difference, right? Meaning your need to connect and his need to disconnect will never meet. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's bad. It just means that's the way it goes. Somebody will have to suck it up, right, at times. It's just, uh, it shouldn't always be one person while the other gets to do their thing the way it's done. So. Those are some. There's many, many more. But the, and there are, of course, broad generalizations. I, I, mean, I mean, there's certainly a social construct that's, uh, you know, don't cry, 
uh, you know, suck it up, be a good boy, like be a strong man, all of that. There's certainly that, but I also think there's just different, different biology produces different processing uh, requirements. And I think um, when you look at, once again, survival, right, uh, when you're in the middle of a hunt having a temper tantrum hissy fit, is going to get your entire family starving, right? So that's just the way it goes. And so there is different processing happening in different, for different demands in people's lives. Yeah. So, and that this is also true. If you would be hunting, you couldn't, uh, you know, have your, your major complaint uh, in front of a herd of deer. If you do, you will be very hungry. Right, or a f school of fish or whatever your thing is. Right? You're going to have to suck it up and uh, keep it down until you've you know, found something to eat. Then you could complain all you want, but by that time you probably don't want to anymore. Right, so, yeah. <laughs>